Good morning. Good morning. My name is John Shigematsu, and this is my wife, Min, and our daughter, Faith. Today's scripture reading is from Psalm 27. Please stand for the reading of God's word. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. The war break out against me, even then, I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in a day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon the rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At a sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I'll see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart. And wait for the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I just want, I want you to know, uh, John is a member of our ministry council, so he's one of our spiritual leaders. Uh, Min uh, translates my sermons into Chinese together with Cheryl Ha every week, uh, and in spite of the fact that her last name is now Shigematsu, you'll have to ask her about that, how, how that's possible, and Faith, well, I love Faith, so I'll just uh, tell you, she's a blessing to me and to us all. Well, today we come again to God's Word, and I have to tell you, I'm a little bit anxious about talking to you about being anxious today. <laughs> I think the reason for that is that so many people in our world are anxious. You know that. That the National Institute of Mental Health says that of all the difficulties that people come and seek help for, the emotional and mental uh, challenge that people face that they are willing to confess and seek help for more often than any other is anxiety. 
Over 40 million adults over the age 18, and actually anxiety is now kicking in pretty seriously at beginning at age 11, but over 40 million adults go to seek help, 18% of the population, that's not even counting those who don't go and seek help, right? And so I know that when we gather in a church here in Southern California of all places, where anxiety can run higher than anywhere else, <laughs> that when I come to this topic, it is a big topic for us all. Now the question is, what do I mean by anxiety, and I've given you such a simple definition here, that anxiety is this feeling of fear or, or apprehension about what might happen. I mean, sometimes we're just afraid of what might happen, though it may never actually happen. And I want you to make note of this when I talk about it. Not all anxiety is bad. In fact, I think that the ability to sometimes feel some anxiety is a gift from God to us to be able to cope in this imperfect world because there are some real things that sometimes we should be anxious about, like what, you might ask. So I want you to imagine something. Imagine that you're alone at night walking down the street. You turn around the corner and notice that it's darker than usual. I put a, a picture up here just so that you can envision it. I want you to feel anxious for just a few moments. Sorry. Suddenly, in, in the darkness of that place, as the streetlight seems to be out, you hear steps, footsteps coming behind you, getting closer and closer. What happens? Uh, your heart pounds. Your mind begins to race. You begin to really think, what should I do? And sometimes you begin to prepare for the danger that might be there. You pull out mace, or maybe you pull out your telephone, getting ready to make a call. Of course, that person who's running up behind you may only be out for a late night jog, right? <laughs> but on the other side, you know that when there is a real danger potentially at hand, a feeling of anxiety might actually give you the ability to think about, how can I stay away from harm? Anxiety can have a, a positive effect upon our lives. And the same thing, if that's, if, if that's too remote, it's not too remote for us here in the L.A. area, but if that is, then in everyday lives you can imagine maybe that you have a final exam for all of you who are students, or in the workplace you have a project you have to uh, bring to your boss, and the deadline is tomorrow. A little bit of anxiety might focus your attention to actually study for that exam, right? To actually make sure you get that that. that project done to bring to your boss. All that is to say that a little bit of anxiety sometimes can help us to become very better students, better workers, and also protect us from harm. Uh, however, when anxiety, things like worry and fear begin to be de debilitating, when, when they keep you from doing normal activities, when they become so excessive that you can't really stop worrying about them, when sometimes they're not associated with anything that even could possibly happen, then they can be evidence of an emotional disorder, and that's a whole other story. So I've called it debilitating anxiety. Do you know what I'm talking about when I say that? Uh, we have so many therapists and counselors in our church that you can help me with this for sure, but as I've been reading about it, there are several ways that anxiety can really wreck our lives. Uh, one is just called general anxiety disorder, GAD. And what that is, it, it's characterized by persistent, it just keeps happening, excessive, unrealistic worry about everyday things. So I have an illustration up here. Uh, there's a woman who struggles with anxiety disorder, and she tries to draw illustrations of what it might feel like. People who, who deal with this kind of anxiety often overthink things. 
Do you, do you see the, the illustration? Oh, man, did I make a mistake yesterday and everybody's going to remember it? Oh, did I leave the iron on before I went today? I hope you're not worrying right now. I mean, almost everything that happens in every day of your life can make you very, very anxious. And the hardest thing about this is once the anxiety kicks in, you just don't know how to stop it and be able to cope with it. Now, another kind of anxiety disorder, and there are many who come to church who wrestle with this too, is what's called panic disorder. I have another picture of that here as well. It's a type of anxiety that's caused by these brief sometimes, sometimes sudden, unexpected attacks of intense terror that often affect you physiologically, biologically. What happens is sometimes the shaking, you, you can see that feeling faint. Sometimes confusion, you don't know what to do. Dizziness happens, nausea. Sometimes you wonder, will I ever sleep again? It's a panic disorder that you know this isn't a shalom that God meant, but you don't know how to break it. Or one of the most common is called a social anxiety disorder. That's when you're afraid of what other people are thinking about you or, or you're afraid of, of public embarrassment. I have another illustration here that you can look at. It, what happens in this is that you avoid human contact so that almost any social opportunity, uh, you want to do this? And the answer is no, no, no. And your world becomes smaller and smaller and your relationships become fewer and fewer. I, I've got to stop and say this. A lot of people who really come to church faithfully struggle with this, and it makes it going to church very, very hard for you. I want you to know as your pastor how thankful I am that you come anyway. I know the courage that it takes. I know that it just has to be your your love of Jesus and, and your love of his people that gets you here. I'm so grateful, and I pray that this will be a place where you can experience the acceptance of people and the love of God. Now, I start this way because I believe that King David, who wrote Psalm 27, surely had some sort of anxiety disorder. I'll tell you, you read his psalms, and you can find them. When you see the psalm, you'll see a little phrase, of David. (laughs) When you read his psalms, the very language that he uses shows us that, that this man knew what anxiety was all about. And if you know anything about the life of David, you know he had reasons for his anxiety. Do you know when he was a young man, He was trying to be supportive of the king, but the king became jealous of him. King Saul, a crazy man, and eventually was chasing David with his entire national army all over the countryside. I'd be anxious, wouldn't you? And then later, even when he became the king, he had this pressure of leadership, which so many of us have felt, the pressure of leading your family or anything else, the pressure of leading this new nation that once had been 12 separate tribes trying to bring them into to one nation. You know how hard that must have been? It must have been like leading a congregational church. Where they're never really used to having anybody really give leadership to them. And, and there he was in, in that job, having been a shepherd boy most of his life. And he had personal issues. He had marriage problems. He had family problems. He had two boys who were trouble. So if you have that, you can relate to David. He had two of his sons who tried to take over the kingdom from him. So I'm telling you, David's psalms become so relevant to us 
when we're really wrestling with anxiety, they're talking to us about how when those things happen in this imperfect world that are so hard, how we can still understand and experience the peace of Christ that we pass on to one another at the beginning of this service. Now, you know that this topic of anxiety is way too big to deal with in one sermon. And it's the hardest thing to do where it's just sort of me talking to you. This is the thing that usually has to go back and forth. So I've wrestled with what to say in the few moments that I have to you that might actually be helpful. And so here's what I I feel like the Lord's led me to do. One, I want to point out to you that whether you know God or not, God loves you. And uh, even if you're just new to church and, and you really don't know if you want anything to do with God, God loves you. And he's built into this world some help for people that he loves that, that anybody can have access to. It's called general revelation. God makes some of his knowledge and help available to all people who will look after. So I want you to know a little bit about that. Then I also want you to know the one distinctive thing that David found that his relationship with God could make in his life that really makes the lasting difference Uh, in in the times that we face of anxiety. So that's what I want to talk to you about today. So I want us to first think about what I call anxiety, faith, meds, and and therapy. Tell you why. Because I've talked about this topic before, and every time I've talked about things like anxiety or depression, I know that there are people who are tempted to think, well, Pastor Greg talked about anxiety and and I'm feeling some, but he, he told me God is with me and that I should just trust him. So I'm going to throw away any other helps, throw away my medicines. I'm going to throw away any of the advice anybody's given, and I'll just, just trust God. And it is good to trust God, but I want you to listen carefully, listen carefully right now. God heals and helps us in many ways. Many people think that when God helps, it has to be Supernatural. But the God we believe in is the God of the natural. He's made everything that's natural. And he's the God of the supernatural. So I've written down a principle for you just to look at and think about. So we who follow Jesus believe that all truth is God's truth. Everything that is true, God has made, and he's made his truth available to so many people in this world. And and, and that truth is also truth about how we function as human beings emotionally and psychologically. So you got that? And we believe that there is nothing in this universe that has not been created by God. I mean, he's made it all. It's his world. And that includes everything that is found in our medication. So when help comes and it's true help, at the end of the day, it's from God. When medicines help, at the end of the day, God is the one who has made it and made it available to us. Now, I know that medications can be misdiagnosed, misprescribed, abused. So you don't have to tell me that I know it. You can drop me a note if you want anyway, but that's okay. I I just want you to know I know that. But they can provide um, some relief for a few moments so that when anxiety attacks really hit, you can stop for a while and seek more lasting help. Um, And 
Human counseling, and many of you have shared this with me, that just good therapy, good counseling can provide really wonderful advice for you to how to, how to walk through this difficult moment for a few moments until you can get more lasting help. I mean, they're just such common sense things that, that can be said to us about getting a good diet, getting a regular pace of you know, sleep and rest and enough exercise. There are so many good pieces of therapy that can really, really help you. So I'll tell you, if, if you've come to church today and, and you're wrestling with anxiety and you're finding some help through medications or, or through some good advice and counsel and therapy that you've been receiving, don't throw them out, okay? Will you mark that down? Receive them as a gift from God. Make sure they're consistent with God's word, but don't throw them out, please. And in fact, as you come to church, if you need to find some really some good and I think Christ-centered therapy and help, we want to help you find that. How? Well, if you go onto our website, we have some resources available to you that maybe you can take the next step for you, and, and you can go onto lakeav.org backslash counseling. So you can go there. I, I've been told, Sega Warku, who heads up our counseling ministry, told me there are more counselors and therapists and more Christian counselors and therapists in Pasadena than in any other place per capita in the entire world. I think that's true. Maybe it's because Fuller is across the street and Azusa Pacific is down the road and, and, and Masters is not far. So there's a lot of help to be found here and I hope that you'll be able to find that. Uh, if you can't get onto the website, we'll also give you a real human voice. You can call what we call our intake center, someone who might be able to help you find the next step. That's 626-844-4797. Mark that down. As, as, as you're doing that, now, those of you who have been here my, I'm going on 10 years now, uh, you know that when I talk about a topic like, like anxiety, probably all week I've been reading articles about anxiety. You know that, right? And so as I have, I want you to say, there's one piece of advice that is usually given uh, in times of anxiety that I want to uh, pass on to you because I think there's some help in it, but on the other side, it can't provide lasting help. And it is this. Uh, that we're told when anxiety attacks hit, the things you're worried about may never happen. So learn not to worry about those things that may never happen. Instead, the advice is this, visualize a future, even a day, without that bad thing that makes you, uh, uh, makes you anxious actually happening. Uh, visualize that future. Focus on that, not on the anxiety-producing thing. Don't focus on all that's gone wrong. Now, I think that there can be some help in that. I want you to know, but it's only going to be short-term, and that brings me at last to what David did. Psalm 27, we just have to go quickly. I call it the foundation for lasting help in times of anxiety, and that is this thing that we've been singing about, learning how to dwell face-to-face, -face, that's the phrase that David uses, in the personal presence of your maker, face-to-face -face with God. Because what happens in Psalm 27 is that David writes a song about his experience, about how anxiety and faith live side by side. Did you notice as the Shigematsu's read to us how it was swung back and forth? He's going to trust God. God is great. Oh, but I'm having this trouble. Oh, but I'm going to trust God. He is God, and it ends with him trusting God. Now, I've got to tell you, uh, some scholars read this psalm, and they say, really, this must be um, two different psalms that somehow got jumbled together. 
they, they even say some rabbis, you know, they would have scrolls, were carrying their scrolls, and they must have dropped it one day. And, and the one about peace and so forth and confidence uh, got mixed up with this one about anxiety and trouble. And somehow they got, because there's no way that you could have a person swinging from anxiety to faith so fully as David seems to do in Psalm 27. What do you think about that? Not much response there. You're probably not thinking about it. But well, I want you to think about it. <laughs> I would say to them, you haven't lived life very long, have you? This is the way it is. And even for those of us who love God, th that we know God is there, and yet the world that we are in right now is sometimes really, really hard. And somehow we've got to be able to walk from that fear into faith, but so often they reside together. And that's what we find David doing. He starts with expressing, there is a God, I want you to know it, and I want you to know it too. And in the midst of this world where everything else seems to be so dark, he is light. So I'm not going to be afraid. This world where there's so many things and so many people who seem to go wrong, he is my stronghold. I'll never have to be anxious. So he starts that way. And he ends that way. I'm confident of this. Here in the land of the living, before I even die, I'm going to see the goodness of God. So I'm going to be able to wait upon him. And in between, we have his journey of walking with God in an imperfect world. And a part of that is his realism, the realism of a person of faith. We don't have to run from the trouble that is there. There is such a refreshing transparency about the Bible that it doesn't try to pretend that its greatest heroes like David never had any trouble. Didn't have to cover it up. So David did not do what many counselors say we have to do. I'm, I'm sure maybe in the short term he says, I've got to stop thinking about that so I can sleep. But in the long term, instead of saying, hey, uh, I'm going to envision a life that doesn't have any trouble, and that way I'll have peace, because he knew that this world is filled with trouble. In fact, what he does is so different. He, he envisions the things that were happening becoming their very worst, because he wants to find something that no matter what this world brings into his life, something that is greater than any anxiety-producing thing in this world. I don't know if you noticed it. Look, look there at verse 3. He says, what if I am besieged by an army? You see that? Now, many people think that David wrote this when Saul was after him with his entire army. They were chasing him. He was hiding in caves. You can great stories that are in the Old Testament. Or maybe he wrote it when his sons were trying to take over the kingdom from him. And so he always had people, but there's no evidence ever that, that they actually got there and were besieging him with their weapons in hand. So what he's saying is, it's not happening yet, but what, what if it does happen? What if the very worst things happened in my life that this world could possibly throw at me? Then what? And if you don't see it there, you look down at verse 10. For a Jewish man, the most important thing was his relationship to his parents. He said, what if my parents should forsake me, my father and mother should forsake me? See, there's no evidence that his parents ever forsook him at all. But what he's doing is, he's saying, I want to try to envision anything in this world being taken away from me, any difficulty in this world possibly happening, and I wonder whether there is anything in this world that is greater than the, than the enemies of this world and the difficulties that I face and he found it. He found it. Something greater than anything in this world. And so I've written this for you. He, he needed 
something that he never would have to fear that, that might happen. So the Bible doesn't tell us that the lasting way to deal with anxiety is to envision a day in your life in which there's no trouble because you know that some trouble may come. It tells you to envision really the worst this world could throw at you and then consciously take time to pull back and remember that the God who is with us is greater than anything that might happen in this world. Does anybody believe that? Does anybody believe that? That's why he starts with saying, God is my light and my stronghold. He ends by saying, I can wait upon the Lord. He's not trying to say bad things will never happen. You know they can and you know they do. He wants you to learn how to face them with the God who made the world and who loves you with an everlasting love and greater than anything in this world right alongside of you. So let's see how he takes that journey from uh, fear to faith. And uh, because I can't go over this entire psalm, verse four is really the key. If you wrestle with anxiety or have a friend or, or, or a loved one who does, this fourth verse, mark it down, somehow highlight it. This is what he says. Okay, one thing. This is how I'll be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord. And it, it, my version says, this only do I seek. He's really saying the one thing, the central thing that I'm going to seek in this world is this that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days, every day of my life. One, to gaze on his beauty, and two, to seek him in his temple. Now, as you look at that, do you see the three verbs? Dwell, gaze, and seek. The main one is dwell, dwell. His greatest desire, he says, is to dwell in God's house. What he means by that is that he wants to always know that God is there with him. The Bible tells us there's a day that we're going to be able to see him face to face, but right now you and I live by faith, not by sight, right? And, but our desire is, and I think you must have it when you come to church sometimes, the life has been really hard. Been a, there's been a lot of anxiety there. And Lord, I need to really know that you are here. And w- because wherever you are, Father, there is home. And I need to always dwell. I need to be at home with you. I need to know whatever happens in this world that I'm not separated from your presence. Then I can rest, he says. I really understand this. Some of you know I travel a lot. When I travel a lot, I often have some pretty hard responsibilities. They wear me out. But also the places where I stay, the bed is strange. I can't sleep. The food is weird. I don't want to eat it, but I have to because everybody's watching me as the guest who is there. And then I get on the plane and start coming back home. I get to LAX and I get in. Of course, we never have any traffic down in Los Angeles trying to get back home. So I'm driving back up home, and I'll tell you what I'm longing for. I'm longing to get home and to be there with Chris and to have food that I'm used to and a bed that isn't strange. <sighs> Anybody know what I'm talking about here? That, that, that's, this world is not our home. This is an imperfect world. God isn't completed with the world yet. And yet the longing of our hearts is to know that God is there. And when God is there present in our lives, we know he's greater than anything in this world, and we can rest. So he would say this one thing that I long for, Lord, is whatever happens in this world, to know that you are with me and that you love me and you will not forsake me. See, anxiety is so often caused when something else in your world has become your one thing. 
Things like money. You've got to have more of it, Lord. I don't want to lose what I have. Things like your health. These are good things. Your occupation, your family, your reputation. You see, when, that's, when anything else other than God becomes the one thing, then when that one thing is threatened, you become afraid and anxious. And the Bible is just declaring here that in times of anxiety, the one thing, the main thing you need to learn to turn to is to say, Lord, I don't know why you're allowing this to happen, but I know you're here. And I know you're good, and I'm going to trust you. David's really saying my, my anxiety is directly proportional to the vulnerability of the things that are my greatest desires. So if the one thing I most want in this world is God's presence, then I can always live without anxiety because nothing in this world will take you away and you are greater than any fear I face in this world. That's, I want to dwell. I want to dwell. Okay, what do you do when you're dwelling when you know that God is there? And that's these other two phrases. Gaze. Gaze on his beauty. Yeah. All right, you know what. You might say, what does that mean? But you know what that means. When, when there's something you really love and you gaze on it, you kind of turn it over in your imagination. You think about, and if it's something you don't have, you think about, what if I had that? That would be so great. If I had that car, if I had that house. Some, if I had that beach house. <laughs> if I could get out of homelessness. I mean, our church, we're everybody, aren't we? I could get out of debt. Last night I had a big amen when I said that. Uh, we start turning that over. Man, what, what is life going to be like if only that happened? Uh, but that could happen. That you don't get that or that thing is taken away. What do you gaze on when you gaze on the one thing that you most want? David says what you have to learn to do is to gaze upon your desire to know God, and to experience his power, his love, and his beauty, and to know that whatever happens, that nothing can separate you from him. He says if you end up gazing on anything else in this world, that thing will become your idol. And if it's taken away, you're going to be anxious. So mark this down. You can always follow your worries to those things that enslave you. You always can, and they're often really good things. When anything else in this world becomes the one thing that you want, you're going to have to have that one thing or you're going to be unhappy, I talked about it last week, and anxious. You'll adore them. You'll be anxious that you'll not get it. You'll be anxious that you will lose it. That thing becomes the one thing, and then anxiety is going to come. If God is that one thing, the one thing you want the most, then you can be anxiety-free. Anything but God in this world is vulnerable. But nothing can take God away from you. Amen. So you, you long to know his presence. You take time to gaze upon how beautiful and great God is. Tried to do that this morning, haven't we, Stephen? And then, then we seek him. We gaze and then we seek. It means to go out and get counsel, to simply ask him, how would you have me to live? In the midst of anxiety, you see that God is really good and you can't always understand why he's allowing the trouble to come. But then you come back to him and say, Lord, I trust you. How am I supposed to live? You teach me how to live. Did you ever pray like that? Whatever you want me to do, it might not be what I chose, but I'm going to live your ways rather than my own. 
These two words, when you know God in your life as your father, that you gaze and seek, gaze and seek, these two words are the ways that you dwell with God, that you walk with God. Many times, church people try to separate them. Sometimes we're really good at being the seekers. We want to know all that the Bible would have us to do, and we want to keep all those commands and all those rules. Um, But I'll tell you, if that's all you do, if you're just trying to live out all the commands, it'll just wear you out. It'll, it'll, be, it'll be like a straitjacket. You'll have no joy in your walk with God whatsoever. We need to do some gazing. But if you only gaze, and you only want to have these personal experiences with the powerful and beautiful God, but then you just go and live your own way without obeying God, what's going to happen is you'll walk away from God. Do you see the secret of these words? The, the deep desire, the one thing, to know that God is present, to gaze upon him regularly, confessing sin and then receiving cleansing and forgiveness, to think about his love and his power and his beauty, and then to seek to live his way. And if that's the pattern of life that you will have, then you'll be able to say, as verses 13 and 14 say, I can be confident, I'll see goodness in the land of the living. I'll wait upon the Lord. That's what I pray for for you. Oh, I see our time is gone. So bottom line, you and I live in an anxious world. Do you need a study to tell you that? That there are things that cause anxiety and fear? See the reality of it every day? I mean, I do. Some people don't have enough of anything, and they're just hurting so much, even in our own neighborhood. Some people seem to have too much of everything, but just want more. We live in a world that is rightly, rightly worried about global warming and natural disasters and bombs like we heard about being dropped in places around us. We worry about what we think are wrong people maybe being elected. Anybody worry about that? We live in a world that there's so much injustice. There are young men being shot in our streets. They're the the good police officers that themselves are getting shot trying to protect people. We look at that and say, wow, what kind of world is this that you tell us we don't have to have anxiety about? We we, we live in a world in which so many people are worried about running out of stuff, about not having enough stuff, about not being able to do enough to please my parents or the people around me, about not measuring up. I, I want you to learn to come and develop a way of life in which you stop and say, God, but you are here. I want to know you more than anything else. I'm going to gaze upon you, and I'm going to seek your way. I I can just imagine when I preach sermons like this and get so riled up like I do (laughs) that you say, Pastor, uh, this is all very interesting. But listen, I'm anxious about something I know is going to happen on Thursday. That's four days from now. What are you going to tell me about that? You think anybody talked to me after the earlier sermons I preached? (laughs) Let's do this at the end of the service. Today you have come into his house and here we are, his people. I want you to ask God to make himself known to you that he is with you. Tell him this one thing you want right now more than you've ever wanted it is to know that he is there, he is your father, that he loves you, he knows you. He sent his son for you. And then I... I want you to gaze on the beauty 
And I think you and I can gaze on the beauty of God like David never could. You know, David lived before Jesus. I mean, we get to see what God is like because God in flesh came and we see how he dealt with people and loved with people. We see how much he loved us by dying on the cross for us. We see that the greatest problem this world has is death and he defeated death by his resurrection. Gaze on that for a while. And then tell him you are ready to recommit your ways to him. If, if there are sins in your life, say, Father, forgive them, he will. Seek to live his way. Do you understand that, this way of life? I really think that unless this way of knowing that God is there, gazing upon him, recommitting ourselves to his ways, is a pattern of life that will free us from anxiety. If we, we can't get it into our spiritual blood, we're always going to be anxious. We've got to say, if my father or mother, I go home and they forsake me, if my spouse forsakes me, if my kids forsake me, if my career forsakes me, if any hope of romance forsakes me, if my looks forsakes me, if my health forsakes me, the Lord will never forsake me. And so I can be at peace. I can be at peace. So let's take a few moments to respond to this. I have some of our pastors, prayer counselors, ministry council members. They're going to come and just try to spread around. Some of you can stay. Steve, I think I see you coming up on the sides so that people can come wherever you are. Um, we won't have very much time for this, but it, I want to give you a chance at least to have your here in the house of God to have somebody pass on the peace of Christ to you in the midst of whatever you are facing. So is there something that's making you anxious today? What is it? Just mark it down. Uh, in these moments, you won't be able to come up and, and say much about it. But what we're going to ask you to do is to come out from wherever you are and to come up to one of our people who will just pray for you and, and just say something very brief like this. Um, it's my spouse. It's my marriage. It's my finances. It's my job. It's my health. My grandparents' health. This, this week, something in my very, very close family happened that created this depth, the same kind of thing, how faith and anxiety live side by side by side in your, own, your pastor's life. So I, I know many of you resonate with this. So I hope you'll have the courage simply to step out as the music is being done and to say that's what it is. They'll pray a very brief prayer with you, praying that you will know the presence and the peace of Christ. So even now, let's stand together this wonderful song that Jer Jeremy and Michael Winans wrote, that we want to dwell in the house of the Lord now and forever. As that music is happening, just step out from wherever you are. Come to any one of the people who is around here, and we'll be praying for you. Come as the Lord leads you.